Thank you for having me again. It's a, it's a good sign to be invited back. I'm going to be covering, actually, verses 1 through 18 in our passage, but I'm just going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Uh, all right, 1 through 9, sorry. This is the reading of God's Word as it comes from John chapter 5. After this, there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalid, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So a few years ago, there was um, this NBA player who kind of made the news. His name's Kyrie Irving, uh, not for anything about leaving his team or not playing for his team, but he made the news because he made the statement that the earth is flat. Quite persistently, actually, he, he says, the earth is flat, just look around you. <laughs> it's right there in front of you, the earth is flat. And then uh, there's a big controversy in the press about how he ignores empirical data and science and all the things that we can observe outside of just our vision to say that the world is actually round. Uh, but then Kyrie Irving came out with a statement uh, apologizing, saying that that should have been a private conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, uh, it, it's interesting he just doubled down and just kind of spoke around that. And in, in many ways, I, I think we, it's a very human response. When we get caught with something where it's, it's not true or we don't want to accept that it's true or it's beyond what we know to be true, we don't want to acknowledge that. We just kind of want to double down. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, it leads to a lot of conflict and hurt and pain and trauma um, in, in our lives. And, and that's the kind of, that's the reality that we live in today. Um, but when we come to our passage, we see something very interesting here in that Jesus, you know, we talk about Jesus and healing, Jesus in, in the gospel, but healing in, in this case, as Jesus is, is showing us and revealing to us, is it's wholly our being in our heart, in our mind, and in our lives. And we're going to look at that and, and see in our three points in our sermon. First, the hurt. We're going to look at the, the invalid and um, his situation, emotional, physical, spiritual. Uh, secondly, we'll look at 
healing and how Jesus brings healing into the world. And third, we'll look at the heart and how the healing engages in our lives every day. So again, the three, as the British would say, H's, gotta accept the hard H of hurt, healing, and heart. Let's uh, get into it uh, a little bit here. I, by way of introduction, you know, we're, I know we're going into a different book than you're currently in, so uh, just as a review, the book of John is one of the four Gospels, and John, as he's writing this Gospel, comes up with this thesis that he, he presents right away in the book. He says in verse 1, in the beginning, in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him, not anything made that was, not anything made that was made. So in other words, Jesus, the, the Word is always everywhere, always has been, always will be. And the Word was, became flesh. In verse 14, it says, uh, what is it? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So by way of introduction, John is giving us this thesis that he's proving that Jesus is this word, the word which has come to be with us. That's why we call him Emmanuel. It's one of his titles. Um, he also says that he is the light, he brings light into the world. There's nothing that overcomes it. Um, and we also know that he says he was flesh. So now he's presented this thesis. He's going to prove it by uh, writing this book, this gospel, um, talking about Jesus' signs. In other words, in the uh, empirical reality of what, what happened when Jesus was here, as well as um, the words of Jesus and what he said about himself. So we see, uh, as the book progresses, the first miracle we see is Jesus at the wedding of Cana turning water into wine. The second one is an, uh, an official came up to Jesus asking him to heal his son. And Jesus just spoke it and said, your son will be healed, go home. And he finds out when he gets home that his son was healed at the moment very moment that Jesus had said, your son will be healed. So that's the second miracle. Here is the third one. The third one where Jesus meets the paralytic and says, take up your bed and walk. Well, as we come to this passage, well, who is this paralytic? No one really knows. He was one of many. He was, he was, he was there amongst all those who were blind and and, and paralyzed and, and also you know, infirmed. He was, he was one of many. And when you look at the, this invalid's response to Jesus, it's very apparent he doesn't know who Jesus is either. So basically two strangers are meeting in this moment, in this place, by the sheep gate. And, and just some context the very pools that they're talking about here um, is, is, is actually the, there was actually a, a, a myth going on that there were angels who came down to stir the water, and that's why they were healing. So that's why these pools are kind of significant. But also be, because 
Bethesda in, in, the, in the Aramaic means house of mercy. So in other words, this is a place where all these people who were infirmed, who were sick, who were in need, were coming with the hope that they would receive mercy. Uh, all very important things to understand. But another thing that we understand and is revealed in our text is that this person has been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Um, it doesn't seem all that long or old in our kind of modern conception, but uh, most people didn't really live to 38 years old back then. So in other words, he's an old man. I, I, and I say that as I'm in my mid-40s. I'm kind of scared by that notion. But he's, he's, he's been suffering with this for 38 years. So he, we know that he's older than 38. Uh, and he's laying there with his bed, long-suffering. And Jesus comes up to him and almost says something that's very odd. Do you want to be healed? Now imagine yourself as this person who's been there for 38 years, who's been sick, who's been dealing with hardship, who's probably been cut off from his family and society. He can't work. You can't go out there to, to make money for yourself. You're, you're, you know, there's, no, there's no one taking care of you. You just have your community of other sick people around you for 38 years. Life is hard. And then someone comes up to you and says, do you want to be healed? Um, why do you think I'm at the house of mercy here? At this, by the pool? That's known to be, you know, healing? Duh. And, and, and yet, what's even more curious is this response by this person as he speaks and applies to Jesus. He doesn't say yes or no. Notice that. He says what? Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Uh, there's several things that we can notice about this response. I think it's very interesting. First off, it's almost as if he's talking past Jesus. Right? It's like me asking you, how's the weather today? You know, I'm doing okay. I asked you about the weather, not about your feelings. But here, it's very similar, right? He's, do you want to be healed? No one's putting me in the pool. No one's helping me out. And you notice in that response, he's blaming other people as well. He's looking around at society and seeing outside of himself and, and saying that no one cares. In other words, at the house of mercy, there is no mercy. Can you blame him? Can you blame him for feeling the way that he does? 38 years, 38 long years of suffering and longing. It's, yeah, I found this out several years ago. You know, insurance companies, so they, they calculate risk partially on understanding that every 10 years of your life, something life-changing and transforming will happen to you. Right? It'll change you forever. And I thought about that. I was like, is that true? And even in my life, in, in the four and a half decades of, of my life, I 
yeah, it's actually fairly true. I, so far as I remember, one of the most transformative things that happened to me, actually, is um, the death of my parents' marriage when I was 10 years old. My parents were divorced. My mom was pregnant with my little sister. Uh, my older siblings were off to college. Right? Well, my brother was at home, but he's basically off to college. Uh, he's busy with his girlfriend. Um, and that was really transformative for me and my entire family. Right? My, my mom was, was very depressed. She suffered with deep sadness because of a failed marriage. Um, my dad had to start over again. My brother, um, he was doing his, his thing to kind of cope with what went on in his life. My sister was away. Um, you know, it's interesting in family dynamics, they talk about the roles of hero or scapegoat or uh, lost child, <laughs> you know, where you basically run away. So there's these different dynamics that happen. And my little sister was just a baby. And um, I was kind of heroing. So I filled in in that role as, as a caretaker for my little sister in some sense. So there's all these things going on. It just transformed my life. The trajectory of my life, I grew up a lot quicker. And not to say that it's neither good nor bad. Yeah, it was bad in the moment. It was bad in that um, it was sad. Um, there, and we experience things in life where you can become sad or angry or um, you know, just blaming others. And sometimes we get so caught up in these transformative events, it affects our health, right? It, it can affect, uh, trauma can affect the way that we live and see the world. It, it could develop into conflict and patterns of conflict that happen over and over and over again. Perhaps there's feelings of guilt. The taking responsibility for things that were out of your control. Um, when those things kind of consume us and transform us, it could also make us cling to them after a while. It's almost as if this is comfortable, oddly. And we're held hostage to these things. And in that, it could also make us difficult to be loved. I'm sure you may have encountered some people who have experienced hardship and perhaps we're in that place where it was very difficult to love them because they're holding on to their guilt or their anger or their sadness so much. It's consuming. So when Jesus is asking this question, do you want to be healed? It's, it's a very poignant question because we know that we need to be healed. We all need to be healed. But do you want to be healed? Do you want to let that go? Do you want to change? Do you want it to transform? That leads us to our second point. Our healing. You know, this man doesn't know Jesus himself. He calls him sir. <laughs> but we know this. Jesus wants to know him. Jesus wants to know him. He approaches him. He asks him the question. He engages this man 
he's undeterred by the fact that he's an invalid or that he's been suffering. And later on, we, give, we get a hint that Jesus knows that something had happened to him. Right? So Jesus is purposefully engaging this man who is there, who has not received any mercy. And in some ways, he's like a good shepherd. You know, we know very famously, Psalm 23, it, you know, Jesus is, is a good shepherd. You know, we shall not be in wants. You know, he, he, this analogy of a shepherd is seen in, in the New Testament when you talk about Jesus searching out for the lost sheep. But interestingly enough, this shepherd, as he approaches this man, doesn't aid him into the waters as they're stirred. He doesn't lead him into that house of mercy that, is, that all these people are waiting in line to get in. Jesus says simply, take up your mat and walk. So this is a very powerful moment to really dwell on. To hear Jesus say, pick up your mat and walk, it's almost as if to say that Jesus he says, you don't need the waters that are stirred. You need the waters that are here. I am the living water. I am the fountain of life. And I will stir you up. So get up and walk. The water that will flow from my side because of that, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Maybe not physical water, but spiritual water indeed. And to have something like that happen, it changes everything. It changes everything. It goes against everything that this person has experienced for those 38 years, waiting for someone to help him into those pools. He gets to return to his family. He gets to return to society. He gets to go to work again, although I think most of us would think work is a curse now. But he gets to go back and integrate himself back into the world, the community, his church. into a true house of mercy. You know, it's, it's one of those things, I have an obsession with the Asian concept of bathing. You know, whenever I see YouTube videos about onsen, I'm just like engaged, right? I wanna go to a hot spring, right? Uh, I had the good fortune many years ago of going to, uh, living in LA and going to Wispa, uh, no, very popular, let me say this right, Dinjibang. Love Dinjibang. Dinjibang. I will go whenever I can, if I could ever afford it. It felt healing to me. It felt very healing to me. Um, but you know, these are, the, the idea of that is it's more of like an analgesic, right? It's about surface pain. 
You go there, you decompress emotionally, spiritually. You sit there on the clay balls in the hot room and you sweat it out. And it can be therapeutic, but it's just an analgesic, kind of like Tiger Balm. Uh, kind of spread it on there when you got pain. What Jesus is saying here is that he's not an analgesic. He's not some sort of health fad. He is life itself. Coming to you. But how does it change our hearts? That's our last point. As I said earlier, you know, Bethesda is called the house of mercy, but there we, we find no mercy. And indeed, as we read on, this, uh, we see the man, and he, he, he goes to this, the leadership the, the, that, that see him in the church, and they, they say, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be picking up your mat and walking on the Sabbath. Uh, this, this man who's cut off from society for 38 years. This man who can't work, can't be with his family. Here is being criticized for picking up his bed and walking after something transformative happened to him. It's such an important thing to kind of think about that for a second. You know, when we see ceremonial law in the Bible, it, what we have to realize is that the ceremonial law, it's, it's not there so that we just have ceremony. There's purpose behind all those things. It's to reveal God's love and character to us. It's to reveal what God desires for us and, and what God has promised us. And Sometimes it's also to help us celebrate. To celebrate God and who he is. This man has finally regained community. He's regained his health. He's regained his life. But yet he's trying to be silenced by religiosity. Now if that sounds wrong to you, then you're in good hands. Yes, it is wrong. It is wrong. But I think it's also a very common reaction. I mean, we see there's no celebration of healing, but this reaction to him walking with the bed as if he's doing something impure. The irony is that in guarding what they feel is pure, they've ignored the purity of God's character. And instead, like Kyrie Irving, they doubled down. I mean, I don't need to really go any further than this to say that 2024, it's an election year. You know what that means, right? Toxicity is in the air. 
people will be doubling down left and right. Literally, politically, spiritually, culturally. This is the year of division. It's an election year. So doubling down is quite common. And we see it all the time. And we even see it in our own lives, don't we? When, we're, when, we, when someone points out that we're wrong, it's like, no, that's not true. This is true. No, no, no. This is what the facts are. No, no, you got to be wrong. No, it's, it's, you, can, you can research it. Like, no, no, I saw it on Wikipedia. Stop. You know, we, we come across trying to fight for this purity of character and this purity of, of thought. But Jesus, in the true purity of God's character and thought, the content of his character reveals grace and mercy. Brothers and sisters, is that something that you want in your own life and in your own character? If it is, then fortunately I have three things for you to think about. In Jesus' response, when he sees this man again, he says this in verse 14. See, you're well. You're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus celebrates this man. He celebrates that he gets to go back to society. He gets to live his life again. He gets to worship God freely. He gets to have all the freedoms that everybody else has because he has lived a life that's been restricted. He's free. Of course, there's reason to celebrate. So the first thing we should do is to remember to celebrate, like Jesus, to celebrate healing. And then the second and third thing is faithfulness and humility. These are things that are, I, I feel are intricately entwined in, in, when we look at this passage, because... In terms of faithfulness, how are we to be faithful? I, we hear that term all the time in Christianity, to be faithful, to walk in faithfulness. God is faithful to us. But what does that mean, to be tied to God? It doesn't mean that life is going to be a breeze. It doesn't mean that life will not be difficult. It will, it, if you live long enough, you'll know life is going to be difficult. Uh, there will be challenging moments in our lives. Uh, things will happen to us. And uh, we will do things to other people, and it's going to happen to them. <laughs> That's part of living together in community. Um, well, I think faithfulness and humility are, are important in this way, in that, yes, we may have the motivation to want to be close to God and to walk closely with him. But there are moments where we need to make space in our humility for God to wash over us and to really flood us and stir us. Now, I, when I say that, when you think about the word flood, it means something that's kind of overwhelming, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think that for us, though, as human beings, to make space in our hearts in the moments where we experience difficulty and hurt and pain is to say that 
maybe we should make some space to let go of those things, or make space for healing, make space for the hope of something better, make space for when God comes and overwhelms us with his living water and stirs our hearts, that yes, it may flow over and it may wash off, but there will be some of that living water retained in us, in that space. Maybe. I, and that's one of the more difficult things, I think, as, as people, to make space so that we can change, make space so that we can be molded and transformed, that, to know that this is not the end, that we're not just to be victims and, and be in conflict forever or to have trauma lord over us in our lives, but that Christ will always be there celebrating with us when there is reason to celebrate, giving us life. And yet our wounds are, are very real. But so is the hope. So is the hope. This man was truly healed. I mean, 38 years. People probably recognize his face. And he's, next thing you know, he's walking around, carrying his mat. I think that's evidence enough that something's going on here. Right? And that Jesus can make that claim that, he, that God is his father. And I hope that if, if it'll sit with us long enough, it will move our hearts. It'll move our hands. It'll move our words in the way that we live. Beloved of God, I, I pray that you would be overwhelmed and stirred by the living waters of Christ that you would make space for that, that water to kind of spill in into your life and that you would become faithful, that you would be humble, and that you would celebrate Jesus always. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us a moment where we can reflect on um, the different people that this passage speaks on, that we could see Jesus reveal the content of your character, of grace and mercy and love and compassion. And I pray, Lord, that we would have that revealed in us, whether we would be like um, this man who suffered for so long, or perhaps like these religious people who criticize him. I pray that you would enter into our lives and stir our hearts in a way that it will transform us to be more like you. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.